Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey everybody, on this episode of the Legends of Tomorrow After Show, we're breaking down Season 4, Episode 6, Tender is the Nate. If you ever wanted to see Biff Tannen sing some James Taylor to a Minotaur, this is the episode for you. We're going to break it all down next. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Yes. Oh, yes. Sing it if you know it, folks, and I'm sure all of you do. Oh, who doesn't know this song that connects with our generation so well? This is probably, I will say, admittedly, the the lowest keying entrance that we've had to the Legends Tomorrow After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. Life is hard, and if anything, our hearts are just minotaurs bursting out of the labyrinth of our souls. I'm being lulled to sleep right now. Sometimes it's nice to just get soothed. Oh, all right. Oh, okay, we gotta wake up. Oh, okay, we gotta okay. wake up. All right, stop it. Stop. <laughs> stop. Please stop the James Taylor. Oh God. Otherwise, you're just oh, gonna... it's still going. <laughs> you're gonna see another 40 minutes of just Dave Child and I just snoozing away. Just snoozing away but for a whole episode. <laughs> welcome everybody to the Legends of Tomorrow after show. We're breaking down every episode this season of Legends Tomorrow, airing Monday nights on the CW. Mm-hmm. I am one of your hosts, Frank Moran. Oh. Hi Frank. Oh, hi, I'm, I'm the other host. I'm uh, I'm Dave Child. There we go. I'm yeah. Dave Child. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. That sounds good. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. And um, our other host. Okay. <laughs> the Alex Michael, uh, not able to join us this evening. No. He's out of the country. I say that uh, by exaggeration. He's just out of town. So yeah. But he'll be back here next week. He'll be back. Us. Lucretia, we love her, but she's she's busy this season. Yes. So hopefully she'll come in for some guest stuff, but you might not see her as much this season. No, but you can always follow her on social media. She Please always do. has some great stuff to say, uh, or some acerbic barbs as mm-hmm. well. So there you go. Follow her on social media, though, to keep up to date with what she's got going on. But in the meantime, though, folks, like us on Facebook, give us those five stars on iTunes, subscribe yes. to the YouTube channel. Yum, yum, and yum. You know what? Dave Child has got his computer up, which means oh. the chat is up and running. I'm talking with you. I'm chatting with you. I'm seeing what you're chatting, and I'm responding back. That's right. So feel free to share your comments about this episode in particular or the series in general. I love this one thought by uh, Seb Russ. The whole show is a mixture between uh, tripping on a drugged cocktail and fan fiction written by someone who went to hundreds of hours of history lectures but was barely listening to what was said. <laughs> there you go. And I think that's quite accurate and probably <laughs> – yeah. and as some people in the chat said that's why the show was so good. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so before we hop into the episode in uh, scintillating detail. Mm, scintillating. Yes. Uh, overall, though, Dave Child, what did you think of this episode? I liked it. It was fun. It was a fun episode. Out of this show, I, uh, I I could just get lost and enjoy the show. And it was one of the funnier episodes. I feel like they had a lot of good lines, and I had a lot of good chuckles, laugh out loud moments. Yes, there were some nice barbs. Yeah, some nice. Some nice uh, it was nice moments, and I I really I liked the whole thing. I will say one of my 
I feel like I the episode was fine, but also overall, you got some beef. I got well, it's not necessarily a beef in particular, but just the detail of the episode. I think we've seen way too many. If you love TV, uh, those various episodes of when the boss comes to see how these you know these renegades run their operation, right? So you know we know the story arc that that's going to take, and so I was like, nah. I was hoping that the yeah. legends would do a little bit of a twist on it. Not really. I, I kind of felt like that. The one thing is, I feel like Hank's character is someone who he was a bit ridiculous at points. Like he was, he didn't seem like a real person. He seemed like they were pushing the kind of. Why I think they could fire everyone? Couldn't the ship run itself? Why do we need so many people? It was just it was too much at points. But you know, I didn't mind it for the silly camp show. This is all right. So uh, before we break down the plot, I will ask one question because the overall thing for this is Hank's following to see where all the money, this huge budget, all the money yeah. they're wasting is going on the Wave Rider. What is it like to have? This ship that we've been following now into its fourth season yeah. now have to worry about like line items Bunch and budgetary. This is the thing that bothered me, and I know that some people in the chat are talking about this too. But uh, don't worry, we will get to Sarah's outfit. Uh, <laughs> as people in the chat are frequently talking about that, but the thing is that uh, I I always understood from the previous seasons, most everything is just made by Gideon. Yes. There's like every piece of clothing and food is made by Gideon. Yet that was the, f- the couple of first line items that they said was like, oh, what's this condiments budget? So maybe she doesn't make condiments or maybe, but also that she makes all the clothes. Yeah. So are they just embezzling the bureau? <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of where they're just like siphoning all that money to just their personal expenses. Because I think they should get paid. They should have a salary. But besides that, and they should hold up, you know, they should pay for another time core and all of that stuff. But besides that, they, they Gideon kind of runs itself. Like, you really do, you don't need to put too much money into the actual, like, uh, daily line items. Yeah, it seems so weird to me that you've, for three seasons, they've never had to worry about any of this because it was all taken care of. Yeah. To also now the time bureau is now you know budgeting. I'm assuming stuff. that that they're siphoning the money, they're embezzling. So I, I actually think they're actually now I'm kind of for that because <laughs> <laughs> they still have Mitch Rory. They're still not quite like good guys. They're still kind of in between. So they might as well get paid as much as they can. But I hope they are getting paid. Yeah, I mean, and I guess this is just have a, a conceit of the show that you just have to accept. Because if you spend really any time analyzing it, it's going right. to like drive you insane. Because they used to be against the Time Bureau, and now they, they work for the Time Bureau. So, Yeah, and the fact that the Time Bureau is still stationed out of 2018 Washington, D.C., as opposed to like the 25th century or the 30th century. you got to have a home base, man. Well, yeah, but you would think, hey, why 2018 is? Because they're all from 2018. <sighs> they go back to 2018. They have all the, the, the stuff from 2018. Why is 2018 so bad? Yeah, it just seems well, people seems in weird. the people in 2002. That's still that's the future. Well, I mean, are we to assume that the time bureau has just always been in that exact location? It's new. The time bureau's new, rather new. It's like a couple of years old. All right, you it know, seems, it seems weird to me that Rip would have made it present day as opposed to doing it in his own home time. No, he wants to stay away from his home time because, like, he has bad memories there. He kind of settled into 2018. Like, um, he used to settle 
into Jonah Hex's time. There we go. Yeah. Back in the day, like he he spent a lot of time with Jonah Hex back in that those days. So you know he moved on from there. He has a lot of X's and hexes and different uh, time places. So he has to settle into 2018. Fresh start. This could be the first season without a Jonah Hex appearance. I sure hope so. <laughs> All right. I really, I kind of, I'm not a, I love the concept of Jonah Hex, but the uh, Jonah Hex on this show has not been that great for me. All right. So uh, as we go into the episode, I'm just going to jump right into a hot take. I want to just hot see take. what you think and what your opinion is. Okay. My hot take is I find Mona a much more interesting supporting character than Gary. Well, yeah, but I also like Gary... Because I like that Mona is kind of a positive, bumbling, lovable character, and Gary's someone who trips over buckets, you know? Mm-hmm. You gotta have the trip over the bucket guy. But Mona actually seems pretty competent at what she does. She's just like, she's bubbly. I, I love her. I think that you have someone who's, she's hardcore shipping uh, <laughs> Nora and Ray and saying the, the new Ross and Rachel, which, oh, don't say that ever. Don't ever say someone is a Ross and Rachel because you're just that's that's fraught with turmoil that relationship. <laughs> you don't want to like We were on a break. You're on a break. It was a break. <laughs> no, that's more of a Seinfeld voice for us, but <laughs> you get my point. It's like uh you don't want to put that on anyone. Give them a Monica Monica Chandler if you're going to give them anything. No, no, I guess. That's I'll, that's my hot friends take. <laughs> Although I mean, you know, Monica and Chandler, theirs was pretty easy. They were just friends for the longest time, and then they became lovers. Yeah, but you kind of wanted them to succeed more than Ross and Rachel. By the end of it, you're just like, Ross, Rachel, enough. Yeah, that's true. I really didn't care by that point. Oh, so welcome to the Friends After Show. We're We're really breaking down the Friends relationships. A lot of people say that Ross, well, Ivan in the chat says Ross and Rachel suck. And uh, people are also saying Monica and Chandler were better. So there you go. Oh, well, not... not, uh... (laughs) About Joey and Rachel? Nobody <laughs> enjoy that little... No, ooh, Joey and Rachel, that was the big ship. <laughs> ooh. Uh, so we do start the episode where in 2018 in the Time Bureau headquarters, and speaking of Mona, it is her first day of work yeah. as an official member of the Time Bureau. Because in last episode, she showed that she uh, showed a lot of... She was good with the magical creatures, and yeah. she also knew a lot about them, and also seemed like she was there to care for them. And so she's she's they hired her up. And now she's part of the Bureau. And you, basically, by Ava's first line, you know the arc for her for this episode. Yeah. Where she's all hardcore about Mona, like, don't get close to these. Don't fraternize. Don't be familiar with them. Cut to, we know by the end of the episode, Ava's going to lighten up. And it's like, oh, wait, maybe you're right, Mona. Well, Ava's got to, always has to lighten up. But that seems to be Ava's arc and pretty much everyone. But it starts off where she's pretty light. And she's, uh... It's a nice little scene with Sarah and Ava. Yeah, she uh, shows up for a, a birthday booty call. Mm-hmm. Uh, that lingerie is, I have to say, I think that's some of the best network TV. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe it's a cable show, but like uh, lingerie I've seen. It's like you, it was nice. It's, it's nice. nice. Yeah. It was nice, and it was tasteful, but also like it was it was good lingerie. Good yep. job. I, I feel slightly skeevy if we spent any more time talking about no, it. No, let's let's really <laughs> piece about But also we got to see her, Sarah's uh, ninja skills. Yes. As well. So. Where she uh, went, crawled up into the ceiling as Hank appears. Uh-huh. Says, you got to justify these budgets. <laughs> justify budgets. them budgets. So. She wanted to justify something else. Mm. 
Uh, but we see Nate comes up with a brilliant idea like, hey, uh, why don't you see how the legends operate? Yeah. And then you'll understand why they need everything that, they, that they, they've been using. I'm sorry. Say that again. <laughs> oh, he got so distracted about Sarah's lingerie. Yes. Uh, Nate's idea I was, was like, I'm "Why don't you lost in that? Come along, hang out with the legends, and see why they need everything that uh, they've been using." Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they hop immediately to the wave rider. There's no giving them a heads up because oh, if you're going to no. inspect, you got to just show up. And we know what was going to happen. We don't want. Oh, Nate. Oh, Nate's going to see a Mayan. Oh, it's going to be awkward. You know, for uh, oh boy, all right. I feel like it's it's tough to save all my beefs. I mean, you could give out, you could just save the big beefs for the, the end. Beef. All right, but I'll, I'll give I'll us a little a, beef bites, a little, yeah, a little, <laughs> a little beef morsel right mm-hmm. here. Hot beef morsel, morsel, morsel right now is for all the buildup that they've been doing. Like, oh man, Nate cannot see oh, Charlie. No, man, I kind of liked it. I kind of, I, I just. I kind of felt like they it's it's up to a point where they didn't want to make it awkward. They didn't want they felt like it was going to be a moment. But realistically, in that scenario, I feel like they actually treated it as realistic as they possibly could. That they did. But when they go past that to say, "You know what? For the rest of this mission, you got to act like the like a Maya, so Hank doesn't suspect anything. That was and, weird. And then they ha- didn't really do anything with that. That was like a weird thing that they said, okay, now you guys are going to have to pretend to be a couple so Hank doesn't know something's weird. And then nothing really happens with that. It kind of just falls flat. They just end up calling her a Maya, but then the, nothing really. It's kind of a weird thread that's entered in and then maybe dropped. Makes me think that maybe there was more at some point, but they cut it out of the episode because they realized there wasn't room for that story thread. Yeah, I so, might have been a C story that was just kind of dropped. They left too much of it in there as it was right now because to have that scene where they're we've got John Ray, Charlie, and Z- uh, Zari talking about yeah, oh you know we're just like they're they're worried about us. We're kind of like the expendable ones, right? Uh, and and as uh, Charlie's starting the scene, trying to imitate Amaya's accent, to speak yeah. like her. It, that was never any any use. It was just we could have cut all that out and just and got into. It was a fun scene to just talk about like uh, accents and stuff, especially since we had a whole episode where we saw specifically how Americans say Minotaur and how British people say Minotaur, which made me think that first she said Manitar, and I was like, is this some other kind of Minotaur? But it was just how the Brits how they say Minotaur. It's like uh, aluminium. Instead of aluminum. <laughs> there you go. Those crazy Brits. Well, this is, as much as I've talked about and really praised the way the writing staff has done a good job of balancing all the characters this season. Yeah. Uh, my worries of Charlie and what her purpose is or her role in the show, this episode started to, I started to see a little warning signs. And that doesn't mean that's going to be the case. They could easily steer out of this kind that's of future beef. Taken. That's future beef but I don't that know. you're putting into it. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, there really was no purpose to, other than the payoff of just Amaya or Charlie meeting Nate and have that Amaya, you look like Amaya moment. I think this is also leading up to, to just jump right to the end, like the uh, Nate and uh, moment where he's like, listen, this isn't for me anymore. This is not who I am anymore. Because him meeting this faux Amaya is kind of him realizing it's not going to be like the old days. It's not going to be... Like it used to be. It's going to be something completely different. Maybe my place isn't here anymore. Maybe it is at the Time Bureau, which I kind of appreciated. You know, I, understandably so, but that's like a that's like a line that if I said at the end of the season, I would buy it. 
But so far, it has been five episodes leading up till now that he's been away. I think he just needed to have more conflict with uh, Charlie. I think there needed to be more of something between uh, Nate and Charlie in this episode. Because there really wasn't. Not that there was time for it. Because they didn't really leave room for it. But if there was some sort of moment where they're kind of maybe they keep going down the path of they have to be in a relationship. And then they have a moment where they, there's just no charm where they have to kiss. And then she, he realizes it's not the same. It's a different person. That would have been nice. That would have been at least a moment where you would have realized that they're on separate paths. Mm-hmm. That would have been good. But we didn't get it. Nor did we have time for it. True. I I, I just it felt like it felt Nate's speech felt like it was too early in the season for me to, to get it. It's for it to really matter, to mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. To now, it's just like him, him saying it. I'm like, all right, really? It's only been five episodes. So, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, but he's it, do, he did a lot in those five episodes. Basically because his dad turns out to be the big boss. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it was enough. Also, good, uh, another really fun moment to talk about uh, was when they're talking about Hank's dad. And they bring up the idea that, because you got to remember, Hank's dad was a superhero. And then you just have Big saying, like, didn't he, didn't he blow up in space? It's like, yeah, yeah very insensitive yeah that was such a good line that was such a funny moment great delivery by nate in that one yeah really that was really that. really good uh but you know who also delivers great stuff to everybody on who? a regular basis uh, who frank that's after buzz tv oh my word absolutely you know uh our network produces after shows for nearly all your favorite reality shows all of them? or just even favorite tv shows in general it doesn't have to be reality it what? could also be uh drama sci-fi and many other more. Uh, All many the more. genres. Yeah, sports, things like that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, there is no network that works harder to serve you, the television fans. But now we need your help. So we're asking that you subscribe to one or more of our AfterBuzz YouTube channel. That here. doesn't seem so hard. No, no, no. It's just, you, hit, you hit the subscribe button. That's it. It's just one little boop. And you're set. Can I ask a question, though? Yeah, please, Dave. What about those pesky notifications? Ah, uh, 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 you don't have to worry about this because they are optional. What? Yes, absolutely. Ugh. And, you know, if you do hit that subscribe button, you know what? YouTube is going to suggest uh, other AfterBuzz TV content for you to enjoy as well. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you can enjoy that Doctor Who show that Dave Child does. Oh, yeah? Yes, or when Game of Thrones comes back for its final season. Dave Child's going to be on that, too, breaking Probably, it down for you. maybe. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I, there's no probabilities about it. You can't think of Game of Thrones without thinking of Dave Child. Okay. At least that's that's me. Uh, so, you know what? Hit that subscribe button now and uh, check out our other AfterBuzz YouTube content as well. And when you do, let us know in the comments because Dave Child, he's going to create a sonnet for you. For you, those lucky few that this comment is, on this. This part's a lie. That's it's an absolute truth. This is the truth. only lie part. I'm not, I don't know how to, I'm not a singer like Tom Wilson. I'm not a I'm not a balladeer like the great Tom Wilson. He's too modest to to say uh, brag about his skills, but I will do it for him. He will compose a sonnet for one of you lucky folks there that are commenting down below. But for now, folks, thanks for being the best fans in the world and helping make us become the ESPN of TV talk. Oh, you're welcome, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Thank yeah, you. You're very welcome. <laughs> so uh, we find out that there's a magical anomaly heading, ah. and uh, of course, the the thrust of our episode. 1927, Paris. I like this because I like 1920s uh, Paris because there is a nice little feeling of Avengers of, uh, of like, literature that happens during that time. And it's nice to kind of play with that little salon that's happening there. That's true. Uh, the only – my only little thing is I'm a big Salvador Dali fan. That was my – 
And when I was a teenager, that's like the artist you discover and go like, this is my thing. I'm into art and dreams and creepiness and weird sexuality, <laughs> which is a lot of Salvador Dali stuff. But um, so he wasn't weird enough. I felt like this was a sense of someone trying to be weird and they needed to get a real weirdo for the part. And that was my only real beef with that little like little scene was I feel like Salvador Dali could be weirder. But I liked everyone else. I, I liked uh I liked Hemingway and I, I liked the Fitzgeralds. Uh the other mini beef that I've got on this here one here. A little bit of bite of beef. There. Uh Salvador Dali, uh when he's asked to draw a sketch of this monster that he saw in the catacombs. You don't see it. We only see a little bit of it, but he also also drew melted clocks. No, on it. he doesn't always draw melted exactly. clocks. But that's what Nate says. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know what these melted clocks are here for. Uh, yeah, that was a bit of a dummy That is ridiculous. Move. That's low-hanging fruit to be able to make that joke. Yeah. If, <laughs> he should have said, uh, ignore the melty things. That would have made more sense. Yes. Because it would have been, it doesn't always have to be clocks. He hardly, he did clocks quite a few times. But for the most part. He did melty things and long stretch things, giraffe ladies, all of those things they could have done. But that's also saying an artist, once they know all the rules and all this, that's when they start breaking them. So you right. see Salvador Dali kind of pushing the boundaries of what art can be. So, But if he's asked to describe something, and the only way he can do it is just by drawing it, he would try to make as much of a realistic representation of it as possible. Right. He's not going to go full Salvador Dali on something. He was trying to give a description to people looking for this creature. Yeah. So yeah. it felt weird for me to, for them to play into that. They were also trying to say who Salvador Dali is. If you oh, don't know boy. who Salvador Dali is, it's he's the guy that drew the melty clocks. <laughs> he's, most, he's most famous for the melty clocks and his wacky mustache. But he's a uh, he's a Dada surrealist artist of uh, the 1920s and and further. This was real young Dali. He actually went late into the 60s and 70s uh, before he died. I do think that is actually on his tombstone. It just says Melty Clocks. Melty Clock, dude. (laughs) If you get a chance, actually, there is a short that he made, started making with Walt Disney, and then they never finished it. But it was finished only like 10 years ago. Someone found all of the rough uh, storyboards for it, and they finished it. And it's it's like a Salvador Dali painting come to life with just a little, not that much of Disney in it. Just more of the dolliness of it, but it's animated. Oh, interesting. It's cool. yeah. That's cool. Uh, so we do not, oh, not only meet uh, Salvador Dali in that cafe, mm-hmm. but we also meet Papa himself. Oh, Papa. <laughs> Papa, don't preach. Oh, Papa, don't preach. <laughs> I'm in trouble deep in the town streets. I'm in trouble deep. See, I told you he knows how to sing. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. a regular Tom Wilson. That's right. <laughs> uh, they meet Ernest Hemingway, who, of course, Hank... Is an enormous fan of, and basically he began, he gets blinders on in that moment. Yeah. Uh, hey, this is a great thing about it, having access to a time machine. Wow, I can actually go back in time and meet a hero of mine. I also love that Hemingway is such a dad hero. He's such like a masculine male d- dad, baby boomer type of like hero type of thing. So it's nice to play with that. And one thing I liked about the episode was just punching. Hemingway in the face, because he's a guy that I think he gets too much credit from this masculine, macho kind of feeling to it. And often now, if you read some Hemingway, I think the, I think in today's view, it comes off a little toxic masculinity. So it's nice to kind of address it in a way that's just like, well, this guy is good, because they, they still quote him and they still reference him, so they still talk about how good of a writer he is. 
but he is troublesome because of all the macho-ness. Yeah. So it's, they, they kind of showed that, but through comedy in a good way. I uh, to, to jump over from a line for Sarah when she has to Hank. Like, you ever been hit by a girl? Uh, Hank? <laughs> like, no. I was like, like I just, Sarah, just that line, the way she delivered it, and just kind of sizing Hank up you after that. <laughs> yeah. You will be. You will be. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, w- I would have loved to see more, and it's, again, one of those things where you just don't have enough time, but when they do set it up that Rory's uh, hanging back with Hemingway for a little while, and they make that author connection. Yeah. I would have loved to see just a little bit more in- into that, just to see them. Well, I also like how there's a friendship almost instantly between them, because, yes. yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. They both like to punch things, and they're both writers. <laughs> so it's... How do you air quote uh, McRory? I'm sorry. McRory's a great writer. This is, this is for Hemingway. <laughs> 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 uh, but we do find out from uh, Dolly that he's heard about a, a creature that's in the catacombs, and so they break it up. And there's a little bit of tension between Nate and Hank, yeah. And in terms of how we're going to do this, because uh, Nate, uh, once they figure out what the uh, the creature is, or at least have a drawing of it, the normal procedure is you go back to the Wave Rider, you do some research, you look up to find out what this creature is, and then you come up with the plan to get it. I also think this might be the first episode of the season where the creature is basically the creature. There's no weird twist like, oh, it's like the witch that eats children, but it's a handsome dude. Mm -hmm. Or it's like it's a a fairy godmother who turns out to be evil or, you know, a unicorn that's killing people. This is a minotaur who's lost in the labyrinth of the catacombs, who goes to the labyrinth of the catacombs, and is also soothed with music like the minotaur is. So it was a nice little like, oh, it's nice to get like a mythical creature who – does the actual mythical creature stuff. And because it felt like the Minotaur was just window dressing and just a reason for them to be there around the types of people that they needed to be. That's okay, though. Yeah, which As is fine. You can have that. You could have a couple of episodes where it's about who the, the mystical creature is and the story behind it. And you can have some that's just about time travel. Like if they get too distracted with the mythical creatures, then it's just supernatural. We're just watching supernatural that's a bit goofier, even though supernatural is pretty goofy. But through time. And this way we can do, which is a couple episodes of Supernatural, is time travel involved too. So it's nice to be like, okay, just have that be a side thing and and explore the time travel aspect of it. And also the character dynamics between the group. True, because if you, which the normal kind of thing would be, it's, hey, it's Constantine kind of getting in with this group a little bit further. And he's playing a kind of a, at least a part in trying to subdue this magical creature. Yeah, yeah. Since it's more of the focus on this is the, the Nate and Hank dynamic, mm-hmm. having Constantine really involved doesn't make much sense. That only takes away from Nate and Hank moments. So yeah. pull him back. Make it, let's just say it's a straight up Minotaur. He's got the musk. Yeah. He's doing the musk stuff. He did his musk. That was and enough. And he has a good naked yoga moment in That's this, in this uh, episode. And that, that makes it whole, all worth it. And he seemed genuinely happy to see Nate. So I'll give it up for Constantine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of genuinely happy to see Nate, another funny line from this <laughs> was when Ray found out Nate was coming there. He's like, man, I could really use a hug. I'm going to talk about my Nora problems. I just love <laughs> the one thing I don't like about Nate staying in the Time Bureau is I really do want some Ray Nate moments. And as yeah. soon as like Nate sees Ray, he goes for the hug. And it's just such a nice. I love that bromance, and I want that to stay. That is true. I, I will miss that as well, too. I'd be able to have that on every single episode, because it was nice. Yeah. That is a, a definitely fun relationship that, that uh, progressed through, uh, during the course of the seasons. Yeah. Uh, so, though, we see uh, Nate says, I'm going to go back to the Wave Rider. Sarah backs up Hank's play because, hey, you know, Hank's checking us out. 
We got to, you know, appease the big boss. Yeah, he's got to have a fun time. And since he likes Hemingway, why yeah. not just have him hang out with Hemingway? And Hemingway says, like, hey, I heard about this creature. Let's go get it. <laughs> go get it. And they do a nice little um, foreshadowing where he's talking about the bull and the the... The what is that? The guy with the oh, the matador, the matador, the matador, and the bull, and they kind of say that early on before we find out it's a minotaur. So it's a nice little foreshadowing, and they're able to kind of carry it through to each of the other like scenes. So that's that's good. Yeah, uh, we see the first attempt to subdue the minotaur fails. Mm-hmm. They use brute force; doesn't work well. No. So uh, Hank gets injured. No bullet to, to the face. No. That minotaur is blocking things with that big battle axe he's Ooh, carrying. He's an axer. <laughs> uh, but then we again and I already brought it up for my uh, part of my beef there we do see the Nate kind of you know, kind of just swimming in circles for a little bit all he does is he happens to bump into Charlie and then they bump into the Fitzgeralds yeah which really amounts to nothing as well it's just like yeah a, they could have used the Fitzgeralds a bit more but it was yeah. nice to see nice to see him yeah they could have used more Zelda I want more Zelda who doesn't yeah Zelda's great <laughs> uh, so though we uh, Nate does figure out though hey you know what Minotaur very quickly figures out yeah, what it does is just needs to be uh, have a, a, a leer and you sing a lullaby to it. And that's the way you take yeah. it out. I do love this little who's on first that happened. It made me chuckle too. <laughs> I liked right. it. I know it's a little cheesy, mm-hmm. but I, I, I like the back and forth with like loot. And then Mick wakes up and says, who says loot? I thought you said that was loot. It's more of a liar. Everyone's a liar. I... <laughs> You know what? That's just some nice Marx Brothers stuff to me. And I just, uh, it was just a nice little quick thing oh, there you that go. I loved. A little wordplay for Dave a, Child. It's, it's a funny episode. It was a funny episode. <laughs> uh, I will say my MVP for that. It's just, uh, you can go back to the line you already referenced when they're talking about your papa blown out in space. Yeah. It's really insensitive. Also, uh, just so people know, like Hemingway is an author who wrote a lot of great books. Obviously, but the Fitzgeralds, uh, basically uh, known for F. Scott Fitzgeralds, known for writing The Great Gatsby and Zelda, also wrote a lot of great stuff. And some people think wrote a lot of F. Scott Fitzgerald stuff because oh. F. Scott was a bit of a drunk. So him and Zelda too, but uh, Zelda might have been a bit more lucid than F. Scott. Some people say. So. Well, we saw them certainly imbibing uh, even during yeah. a, a crisis. They made they there was wacky drunks. Yes, there's always always time to drink, no matter what the occasion. <laughs> he died of alcoholism. <laughs> Gosh, uh, but the other uh, big uh, thrust of the episode is we have uh, Nora, Sarah, and Mona mm-hmm. trapped in Nora's uh, chamber uh, because she was uh, Mona was trying to deliver a little love letter. Yeah, from uh, from Ray to Nora. You know what? There's one thing I know for sure is I never want to be captured in the Berlanti universe because they just don't believe in toilets. They don't put a toilet in anyone's cell ever, not in Flash, in those little, like, cells, and not in even in The Legends of Tomorrow, and not in Supergirl either. Whenever someone's in a cell, it's always just this blank space. At least Nora got furniture. Most people don't get furniture. They usually get a floor and then no toilet and then that's it. And you always wonder where do they go to the bathroom? You know, uh, I feel weird to be on this side of the eating the beefs. But uh, because I would say like all the sophisticated technology that they have for them, perhaps they just come up with a way just like to hide the toilet. The toilet comes up and the toilet then goes comes down. up or comes out of the wall, comes up out of the ground. At this point, because of the flash, I need to see it. 
I need to see that toilet. Because but, right now I just don't believe. Do you really? I mean, I'm sure they just clean it out with the uh, mythical creatures. But with Nora, it's there should be like a, at least one toilet that's just in the middle of the thing. It's not that hard. I bet you it comes up by you just tap your foot on the ground. Because when you imagine if you're a prisoner, would you want to always be looking at a toilet? Or if there's a way you could like make the toilet disappear into the ground, so that way you just I don't can, think like, they would do that for the safety of it. If you're a prisoner, you are looking at a toilet. Most cells always has a toilet. In the cell. There's a toilet and the sink, and then there's two beds or one bed. That's a cell. We don't have to be animals. We can show some compassion. That's why I want to see a toilet there, because it shows compassion. Because right now it just means I they're just pooping on the floor. That's I, what I assume is happening. I'm going to say that they just uh, make it less stressful for them, and the toilet sinks under the ground when not needed. That is your fantasy. <laughs> fantasy. Uh, so we see them stuck in that room, and so they share. Uh, they decide to, hey, let's share our pa- backstories. Why not? And we get some rosé. We have some laughs. Some cake. Some cake. There we go. I, I like. I, I know this is a little cheesy and cheap. This this storyline because it is a kind of stuck in the elevator TV storyline. I didn't mind it so much. I know Ava keeps learning the same lesson over and over again to lighten up. But there is a nice moment where where Nora's talking about her past as this, you know, destined to be a demon, kind of raised in a cult. And then uh, Ava talks about her past as a clone from the future. It's nice to have the both of those and Nora hitting them, hearing them and being like, okay, now I need to know. The full life story is going on. Yes. It's, it was good to see it from from Mona's perspective. True, because I'm, I'm sure if I were Mona in that situation and I heard people describing those kind of backstories, I, I would definitely want to know, this is way more interesting than anything I've ever heard or experienced in my life. Please tell me everything. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, they do, and they, they uh, figure out, hey, you know what? Life isn't so bad after all. I'm the head of the Time Bureau. Oh, I escaped a cult. Things are going okay. Things are going okay. I'm still in a prison right yeah. now. <laughs> but, but by your own choice. You know. Because she realizes that's her only way to be able to finally be free of everything. Yeah, but it does make me think if she's like, uh, if she, instead of, while she's having this heart-to-heart where she gets to have letters and stuff, does she bring up to Ava, so um, what is the track for my rehabilitation? What is the track for my <laughs> incarceration, and where does it exactly end? Because right now it's kind of a off-the-books, open to whatever comes sort of thing. Yeah, uh, I definitely feel like by the end of the season, she's going to earn she's gonna her. She's going to be out. Yeah. She's either going to earn her way or they're going to have to let her out because they have to use her abilities to fight some big yeah. bad. And give her time off for you know good behavior or for she yeah. served her, her sentence. Or it might just be like she escapes or something. I don't know. I feel like, there's, I feel like she's not going to escape, but I feel like she's going to earn her freedom. And then yeah. the next question is, happens to Ray and Nora. But that's getting ahead of ourselves for now, though. Mona ships it. Uh, we get to see a little bit of the uh, the, the, uh, the attack by, on the Minotaur again, and a little Hank and Nate disagreement, because yeah. uh, Nate says, hey, we got to play the, 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 the Lear and sing to it. Hank wants to go in, uh, all barrels uh, blaze. And it's a nice moment where I like how they both bring up the point of, like, you don't listen to me, you don't listen to me. You don't listen to what I want and how I'm different from you. And I don't listen to your lessons, and I don't care about what you love. And it's a good build-up to what what saves the day in the end is a little bit of what column A wants and a little bit of what column B wants. 
That's true. And you get a little bit of both, which is good. And we see Hemingway, as usual, just messing it all up. Oh, Hemingway. But we get Go to... Go play with your multi-fingered <laughs> cats, you weirdo. Head down there, yes, to uh, the Keys. Get your thumb cats. The yeah. cats with the thumbs. <laughs> yeah. Hemingway's Whoa. cats. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Hemingway's cats. It's it, unfortunate. It, it'll yes. be good. Yes. It's not unfortunate. That's it's kind of cool. Uh, but we do get to see the moment that Dave Child never knew he wanted, but was so glad to have. And that was Tom Wilson picking up that guitar at a moment of crisis. Now, I knew Tom Wilson, and some people in the in the chat are asking if that was Tom Wilson's actual singing voice. And I know it is, because I've gone to a couple of comedy shows when The Meltdown used to exist, R.I.P., The Meltdown Comics. There used to be a great show there run by Jonah and Kumail, yeah. uh, Meltdown Comedy Show. And sometimes Tom Wilson would make a guest kind of appearance where he would just show up. And what he does for his stand-up isn't really stand-up. He brings a guitar and he sings funny songs. Oh, nice. So uh, some of the songs, he even has one song that's called, like, I'm Not Biff or something like that, where he actually, it gets very meta and he talks about himself. But look up Tom Wilson's comedy. Look up Tom Wilson and singing, and something will come up where there are videos of him singing and playing guitar. So he is actually very talented and a funny singer. And it does pay off because he lulls that minotaur to sleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have a little uh, nice little moment. Everybody's happy with each other. Uh, but Nate does say his farewell. It's like, hey, I realize I belong. I belong at the Time Bureau. Yeah. But not before a pizza party, guys. Pizza party makes everything better. It's also nice to see Nate steal up a little bit. It's been a while since we saw Buns of Steel. Yeah. And uh, so it's good to see a little bit of that. A little minor beef on that one as well. He's fighting a Minotaur. And I guess this has always been an issue with Nate's powers. Like, he's made out of metal. He's got to concentrate. He's got to concentrate to have those those abilities. But there's no reason that he should have dropped that. He he didn't mean to drop it. He dropped it because he got choked by the Minotaur. But as a person made of metal, he's yeah, not going to feel Minotaur, that. The Minotaur is very strong. And he mm. was able to distract him. And because he was distracting him, it brought down the shield. I think that makes more sense than toilets in the floor that we don't see. I don't know about that. Personally. All right. So, uh, folks, we'll get to the, my main beef of the episode. Oh, here's Why the main the beef? beef. Thank you, Josh. Yes. <laughs> yes. Finally. I, I gave you a little, little mini beefs leading up to this. My main beef of the episode is our beloved Ray Palmer, who uh, you know wants to just check on Nora to see how she's doing. Wants to write her a love letter. but uh, Or just uh, yeah, perhaps just a note. A nice, friendly note. But uh, it right. says, uh, rather than... <laughs> Yeah, okay. He puts himself in the envelope. How this thing got sealed, he got stuck to it. <laughs> it uh, how he let Mona know, like, hey, I'm not going to be around, but I'm just going to leave this envelope on your desk. I this is this is what I think. I don't think he. I know he claims that he just got stuck to the glue, and he can't get out of it. We know he's got rockets. He's well. He's got like he's got jetpacks on his on his feet and his hands, and also he's got lasers that can blast out of it. So I think he just got shy and he felt real awkward about leaving, and he's using the glue as an excuse because after a while, he thought, oh, maybe she's not going to want to open it. Maybe she's not going to want to see it. And then they start talking about him. And then he's like, oh, I shouldn't come out now because they're talking about me. And then he's just stuck there and he doesn't know what to do. That's that's how I'm going to eat your beef is I'm going to assume. But, yes, I had the same thought. Like, you could definitely blast your way out of glue, buddy. Yes. But at the, even if it, like, lights the 
envelope on fire, I think you can get out of there. But I so that's why I think I think he was white lying a little bit, and he was just awkward, and he's a shy, sensitive boy. I would also think that if I had was trying to lick this envelope, why I didn't lick it uh, while I'm huge, then shrink down and then pull the envelope closed. But even if I got stuck in the envelope uh, adhesive, I would then grow immediately right out of it and say, "All right, let's just get another envelope and do this again." Why would I just keep myself stuck in there? And then be taken away in there. That's why I'm saying he didn't get stuck in there. I'm saying he was he got himself stuck so he could go into the envelope and get snuck in there. Because he wanted it to be a surprise. But then he didn't get break out of it once he was in there because he was a shy, shy sensitive boy. Uh, I disagree. I, th- I feel like if I were stuck in an envelope, I would enlarge myself immediately and then just do a new envelope and shrink myself back down. Again, I think that makes more sense than your fictitious, invisible <laughs> toilets. The, as Ava says by the end of this episode, it is time that we can have a little compassion in here. And the compassion is a toilet that slides into the ground. I agree, but I need to see it before I believe All it. Right. I went through too many seasons of The Flash where they definitely didn't have a toilet sliding into the ground. Those are just rooms without poopers. You know, there's a, there's a hole there. Yeah, I'm there's no the- hole. <laughs> there's no hole. Uh, all right, so uh, as we get ready to wrap up, we can probably do a few predictions. Yeah. yeah why not? Let's predict some stuff. And now, you're after Buzz TV. Predictions. We know from next week we've got a bunch of dolls, and nothing's better than uh, crazy. Dolls. Yeah, spooky dolls. Also, we're in New Orleans, which is going to be great. I think there's going to be a lot of voodoo stuff going on in this one. I kind of hope, um, I think we're leading up to whatever's chasing after Constantine. And we have seen in the chat from uh, uh, from previous episodes that that flash of uh, character that we sometimes see is from the Constantine show. Yes. So I'm, Thank you, Tanya, for letting us know that. Yeah. Okay. I'm guessing like we are going to see that character come back. I forget what his name is. If only Lucretia was here. But like we are, I think he's going to come in by the end of the season. Uh, I'm down with that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. I'm sure that uh, if, if you're a Constantine fan, this would be an awesome season for you then to see that kind of payoff. So, yeah, yeah I'm down for that. Uh, I, I am all up for uh, escalating a little bit of what, hap- what is happening with the Constantine. It's time for us to start getting a little bit more info about right. whatever it is. So if we can do that next episode, I'd be happy. I'm also there hoping. I'm also hoping they pay off what Hank said in the previous episode. It seemed like it was leading into this episode, and then they don't really do anything with it, which is, oh, we can tame these animals. We can kind of turn them onto our side. Well, we can use the magical creatures. And we can uh, we can weaponize them. It's kind of like what he implied. It sounded like he was going to polarizer aliens these creatures. I think that's going to come up, and I think it's going to add more conflict in between Nate and Hank, where all of a sudden he's got these weaponized magical creatures, and Nate's going to be against weaponizing them and maybe freeing them or rehabilitating them. True, I would agree. I think that's why we see somebody like Mona introduce this season, who is a caretaker to the monsters. And as an affinity for them, I can see Hank uh, kind of using her as a way to weaponize them, but not mm-hmm. in a way that Mona doesn't realize. Like, oh, I'm just being really nice and kind to these monsters, when in actuality it's setting Hank up perfectly to have them docile enough to have them do what he needs them to do. Right. And then it's all going to go wrong. Also, some people in the chat, uh, some people disagree that it is the person from the Constantine show. So we'll see about that. But also, uh, Dr. Moon is brought up. 
by Star Drew, and I guess that is another Constantine character. I have to watch Constantine, is what I'm learning. It is on the other uh, CW seed, I believe. It is on the seed. Yeah, you gotta, so check it out. I got to seed that. Uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, we have now seed to the end of the show. <laughs> Nope. Not as, no, that was good. That was no. a good segue. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. There we go. You deserve that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for making it uh, with us this far uh, because we've reached the end of another episode of the Legends of Tomorrow After Show. As always, like us on Facebook. Give us those five stars on iTunes. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And thanks, everybody, for hopping in the chat. We appreciate all your comments. But if you're watching after we stream live, feel free to comment down below. You know, uh, you know, yes, absolutely. Let, uh, let Dave Child know how uh, awesome you think he is. Yeah. Because he is incredibly awesome. And I also let Frank know how beautiful and handsome and wonderful he is. Oh, that's very kind of Dave. Because he really is. <laughs> but if you want to get in touch with any of us, even after the show's over, Dave, how can they find you? Oh, I can tell you how you can find me. You can go to at MRDaveChild on the Instagram or the Twitter, or you can go to DaveChild.com. And you can also catch me at the Doctor Who after show here uh, and also go to my Twitter look at my pin tweet watch that weird music video I'm in and let other people know about it because I'm quite proud of it as well you should be and folks if you do have your own show that you make you, you're a content creator and you need somebody dancing to your theme song for your show reach out to Dave Chow because he and his uh, dance team Liquid Feet they can dance to your theme song yeah, that's what worth you doing Check out Liquid Feet while you're at it, too. It's my dance troupe. We were on the Gong Show. We were on a bunch of other stuff. And we dance the TV theme songs, so you can catch us there. It makes me want to create a TV show just to make that happen. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at HappyGoJackie. That's going to do it for us this evening, folks. But we'll be back here next Monday night with hopefully Lex Michael and Toe for another episode of the Legends of Tomorrow After Show right here on AfterBuzz TV. Speed off. Swampy. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 